Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges. Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earl. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. I'm Amanda Earl, and this is episode 88. And I am here with Joachim Norling of Tim Glass Editions. Welcome, Joachim. Thank you very much. Thanks it's great for, to be here. It's great to uh, talk to you. Of course. Uh, uh, so I'm. I, what I've been doing this year is talking to um, different. Uh, publishers of, of small presses mostly and, and also mm-hmm. some reading series as well that's what this year is about so of course I would want to talk to uh, Tim Glass Editions one of my my favorite publishers and one of my favorite people who I've I've enjoyed working with uh, uh, on oh, thank you. and other things going being published by so this is this is a nice uh, a nice thing to have you on the show can you start off by telling uh, listeners about yourself and what do you want them to know I used to do bios but I started to just ask people what do you want people to know about yourself and, and, uh, <laughs> um, I don't think I'm, I'm very interesting uh, what might be interesting about me is that I came into uh, visual poetry fairly late um, um, in the last decade, I guess, and uh, that I've been uh, involved in in uh, the music scene here in Sweden in various, primarily as a writer uh, and a publisher to some some extent. And um, I discovered visual poetry quite late in life, but I got really struck by it and. Uh, couldn't get enough of it and, and uh, knew immediately that I wanted to to uh, be part of, of uh, the discussion somehow. And since I'm since I'm always been uh, always been publishing uh, fanzines and uh, and uh, magazines and and stuff and and a couple of books as well, uh, it sort of felt natural that uh, as a publisher would be my role. Um, apart from that, it's not very interesting. I'm 58 years old, and <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about it, I guess. We're the same. Well, we're the same age. I, I turned 59 at the end of October, so uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm in June. <laughs> so that means that next year we both yeah. So so ne- so then the next year we turn in, in in 2023. We're both turning 60 in 2023, basically. Yeah, we are. That's that's what I I, I realized I was turning sixty. Um, well, I, I know I, I've known for a while that if I lasted this long, I wouldn't be turning sixteen in twenty twenty three. But it seems like more of a reality now than it did, you know, mm-hmm. whenever. So yeah, this this is what's going on. Yeah, I, I was interested. We, we actually we had an interview um, on the Angel House Press site back in um, October of twenty eighteen, and you talked about. Um, how you start out. and you said in the interview you said you've gotten fed up with writing about music which is something you were doing since you were a teen which i thought was interesting and then to move you talked about also having an interest in in 
Dada as well. Can you talk about the road from music and Dada to visual poetry? How do they how do they kind of connect in your mind? <laughs> well, uh, um, yeah, sure. Um, uh, maybe I should say something about what kind of music I <laughs> I was writing about. Um, I got into music uh, in my teens, um, and uh, and I always say I, I got interested in pop music. But then then people get all the, the wrong kind of uh, uh, they start thinking about about you know really lightweight bubblegum pop pop and uh, and I, what I, I got into was more like. Uh, the artist side of, of pop, you might say. Uh, I was a bit too young for punk, uh, but uh, I uh, got really interested in post-punk, uh, in in all the enormous amount of creativity within within pop and rock music, which uh, came came after punk, really, um, and. Um, I started started making a fan scene when I was like seventeen or something like that, and uh, uh, and started writing writing about music. And one of one of the local bands which I followed and liked was called Blago Boom. And those of you who are f familiar with uh, with uh, very familiar with Dada knows that this is a quote from a from a sound poem by Hugo Ball. The, the German uh, Dadaist, who was one, one of the founders of, of Dada. And, and so that was one of the reasons why, why, why I, I got in, interested in Dada. Uh, and that was when, when I was 17 or something like that, 18. And, um, and you might say that uh, it tied in with, uh, with uh, uh, my interest in pop music, which was kind of arty, um, left field pop music, you might say. Um, and I was aware of Dada, and I got aware of uh, concrete poetry fairly early as well, but never quite understood it. Um, and I think probably one of the pr problems with that was that uh, um, at least some concrete poetry, and definitely a lot of visual poetry, is uh, is not really about understanding in the traditional sense of the word, uh, not at least the literal meaning of the of the words and and uh, uh, words and sentences on the, on the page. And uh, well. Uh, so, so I, I was very aware of, of art and uh, and uh, uh, the kind of art that uh, that many friends and other people found very strange, like like Dada. And uh, uh, I had a period when I was very much into Russian constructivism, and uh, <laughs> uh, I read up about vorticism and all the isms of the of the twentieth century. Uh, and that was uh, sort of uh, going on while while I immersed myself in in, in left field pop pop culture, and um, also informed my understanding of of, uh, of pop music of what pop music could be. Uh, so after all, maybe the step wasn't that far <laughs> to take, but. Um, um, 
and then I, as I said, I got fed up with with writing about music. Uh, the problem with writing about music is that uh, that um, you tend to repeat yourself. Um, there is or at least for me, there was a limited amount of words and sentences and, uh, and ideas I could use when writing about music. And I, I got really fed up with, with reading my own words. And uh, um, But at the same time, I had gotten into book publishing. Uh, a couple of friends and I start, started uh, um, a small book publishing business you might call it and we, we published a couple of books about music and also also some uh, uh, poetry actually and uh, but poetry and fiction which was coming out of the music scene you might say because of course a lot lo lot of people who who write they they make music as well and uh, and different art forms tend to sort of coalesce in in people. <laughs> uh, so um, so I, 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 I found that interesting and, uh, and uh, at the same time frustrating for reasons we don't have to, to, to talk so much about. But, um, but I, um, I got this idea that, uh, well, basically what, what I do when I want to do something, but I don't really know what it is. <laughs> then I start a fanzine. <laughs> a fanzine. Yeah, that's an interesting. A fanzine is an interesting thing because I know, like in the, for instance, in punk rock, there were there were zines, like there were a lot mm. of zines at that time. But I, it's not something that I hear much of. I've heard much of it as a as a as a type of work or as a as a you know it's not it's not something in my experience i don't know whether it's a something um that other aspects of north america um we have here but i mean i i did hear about the 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 concept through punk music but yeah. i didn't, even i didn't hear about that until punk was long over so you know i mean i mm. never heard I, I never heard about that. So that what 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 is a fanzine or what it was you a fanzine for you and you? Uh, um, I mean, I, I I started fanzine when I was uh, seventeen, I think it was, and yeah. uh, um, uh, and that was a punk or rather a post-punk fanzine. So yeah. so that that was. Uh, uh, what you probably identify as a fanzine, but but then then in the nineties I pu published a fanzine which also included fiction and and uh, writing about about all kinds of subjects really and and I to me it's it's really uh, it's really about about uh, uh, the main sentiment of punk for me which is DIY do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's uh, uh, if you want to do something, just do it, yeah. and don't think too much about about what it is and how it fits in, and and uh, and uh, even why you're doing it. Uh, it's it's like a, it's like a like an urge within. I think this uh, this urge to publish yeah. things. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, a drive yeah. that we have, eh? To, to it is a drive, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just like, um, I mean, writing poetry is obviously a drive for for poets, yeah. and, and for me, that drive is publishing, and it's really, I mean, it's hard to 
why do I want to publish stuff? <laughs> That's really, really hard to, to, to explain, even to myself. Uh, and, and I've sort of come to the conclusion that it's, it's just something I do, something I enjoy doing. And, uh, and uh, I sort of, it's part of my personality, really. Uh, I, and I know, know this is really hard to understand for, for, to pe- for people who, who, who don't have that drive uh, or, or that urge. Because, I mean, how do you get a drive to publish I don't know. It just happened. <laughs> um, well, and any, anyway, I, I got fed up with writing about music, and uh, but I knew a lot of people who were maybe partly into music, but also into into visual arts and and poetry and and so on. And I thought, well, why don't I make a fanzine with stuff by by all of those people? Yeah, and, and see what it ends up like, and and that's actually how how Tim Glass was started as a uh, a fanzine, um, just really a, a general fanzine, but but obvi- obviously obviously about and with the kind of things that interest me interests me, which is all the kind of. <laughs> weird stuff out there <laughs> yeah and, and we can go into that because when i when i did the interview with you back in um 2018 we, we discussed the first description that i found for the press on which was on Bandcamp, which is where i found the very first mm, my yeah. first when i googled that's where i that's where i started and it said tim glassett is a bilingual thematic fanzine we like to think of swedish and english as our languages during its lifespan, it may touch upon subjects like artful utopias, the reinvention of abstraction, the psychogeography of imaginary cities, space folklore, unearthly gardens, angry old men, and cryptic cartography. On the other hand, it may not. Tim Glassett turns every now and then because Tim Glassett is is a, is an hour like an hourglass. Or yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It means yeah. hourglass. Yeah, but I, that, that's a great description. And I also like the fact that there's. On the other hand, it may not. Like, let's not commit ourselves here to, to <laughs> you know, um, yeah. unearthly gardens because someone's going to come up to you and say, "Where's that unearthly garden piece?" You know. I want <laughs> but I think you have. Like, I think you've done like. Um, um, for instance, I think the psychogeography of imaginary cities does describe, mm. for instance, uh, Hartmut Abenstein's ascemic walks in some sense. Like, uh, I, yeah, I, yeah. You are. You, I, I can see it. Uh, so what would you like listeners to know about, about Tim Glassett and um, how do the above subjects relate to what the press has published? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, that's a very good question, of course. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, there were... Seven or eight issues of the of the fanzines, and uh, and uh, somewhere around the fifth, perhaps or sixth, I I, uh, I decided to publish a book by by uh, one of the people who had contri- contributed to the fanzine, almost to every issue actually, uh, because I really liked his work and and. Uh, and I thought, well, you seem to have lots of it. Uh, why don't we make a book? And that was really how, how it started. And uh, around that time, I, I, I had started getting really into visual poetry. Uh, one uh, very early on, I, I got an email from Derek Bollier, 
who uh, who uh, who said, "Hi, I've heard about your your fancy. Can I come contribute something?" And I was like, "How did you hear about that?" <laughs> <laughs> and um, um, and I didn't know anything about him and wh- what he was doing, but I found out fairly quickly. And uh, and uh, uh, there was at least one of my uh, another was uh, was uh, my German friend, friend Petra Schulze Volgast, yes. PSW as she's known, um, um, who who also who um, whom I also uh, got in touch with uh, rather early. She she was. Uh, uh, a few years back, she contributed to a data exhibition in, in Germany, and uh, I think I was it was through that somehow that uh, that I um, I got to know her work, and then I started learning more, and and and, and you know it it was very much like like aha. Uh, uh, uh-huh. Now I get it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but because before, as I said, I had had. Uh, uh, I had read some concrete poetry without really getting into it, and um, and then I suddenly just got it. And I thought this is absolutely fantastic. It's it's like abstract art, but with letters. Yeah, uh, that's it. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I I love so much abstract visual art, and and obviously I have to have have to love. Uh, abstract writing as well which mm-hmm. which is one way of understanding uh, visual poetry i think right. well yeah let's let's talk about that because it's it always comes up uh, a lot of times so uh, what um do you have a, any kind of a de- like definition or uh, some kind of a um a guiding principle for what visual poetry is for you or or the types of work that fit into what you publish as visual poetry or do you some kind of a uh, I probably use a quite wide definition. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it it has to be about language somehow. But then, what what is language? Language is not only, not only uh, yeah. words and letters yeah. on on uh, on pages. But you mentioned cryptic cartography. Uh, maps are are obviously yes. a, a kind of language, and uh, and there are other many other systems of, of language. Um, uh, Klaus Peter Denkel, the, the German visual poetry poet who yeah. published one book before before he died, sadly, uh, a year ago or so. Um, he has said that, um, uh, well, concrete poetry is obviously about the materiality of language. And uh, and uh, uh, he said that visual poetry adds context, mm. uh, and I think in many many, many ways that's uh, that, that's a very simplistic uh, uh, definition. And his definition is definitely more 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 elaborate. But uh, but, but I think think he's right to some some extent. If I mean if. I don't think it's really that necessary to to establish what is concrete poetry and what exactly is visual poetry. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and I mean, after a while, these kind kinds of things uh, are a bit important when you when you are when you are 
getting to know visual poetry and, and you want to know, you, you're sort of unsure of what is visual poetry and what is not visual poetry. And then, then after a while, you, you, you just accept that, well, this is visual poetry for me. Exactly. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, and we, we had we had a lot of those discussions when making Judith, didn't we? Because we because did. we you you compiled that enormous fantastic list with more than a thousand uh, a thousand female visual poets, and uh, and as some people have pointed out, that some of those women probably don't uh, no. regard themselves visual poet poets they've even heard of the term even like i'm or even heard of the heard of the term we had that but, with but um, I mean, poets uh, that, that some of the women in the even in the book that were usually used to thinking of themselves as visual artists and of course they are but we say well you're also making visual poetry right it's one of the reasons why i didn't use the term visual poet because mm-hmm. it's, it's to me it sounded like um that's what you did. Like that was your, that was how you identified yourself. And to me, the idea of visual poetry is not necessarily about how you identify. It's just the work. Like it's not necessarily mm-hmm. like I'm an X or I'm a Y, like I'm lots of things, but I also do mm-hmm. lots of things. It doesn't necessarily, exactly. I have to wear a visual, a vispo beret or something, you know, to identify <laughs> Yeah, we, we described ourselves as, well, I remember I, I said uh, we were like Vispo detectives because we were looking around yeah, to find yeah. um, all these different things. But yeah, there's a lot, a, one of the things that interested me about, uh, I worked a lot too uh, with you and but and, and Klaus gave us a lot of uh, great, um, great mm-hmm. uh, names as well as did a lot of other people. And one of the people was Imogen Reed and Imogen would challenge me with these really, she'd, she'd send these li- links and say, what about this? And especially because yeah. Imogen works a lot with the grid and with, so there'd be a lot of work like that, that it never even occurred to me to consider that as visual poetry because I didn't see a relationship to language. But of course, as soon as you have a grid and lines and and, and that kind of, it is a form of, of, of language and communication mm-hmm. in this way. So, so my eyes, I certainly, I, my definition of visual poetry opened up during the making of Judith to much wider yeah, than it was before. And also, I didn't I didn't know a lot about a lot of European uh, visual poetry as well. So you really opened up my eyes to a lot of that as well. Like I knew um, I knew Petra, and I knew a few of the um, visual poets from years of sort of interacting through, uh, like say Facebook and stuff. But um, there were so many that I hadn't I hadn't heard of. So and a lot of the Tim Glassett books too are by uh, publications are are by uh, people I hadn't heard of before that I'm really glad I'm, I've gotten to to an introduction to through Tim Glassett. So yeah, it's really interesting that uh, you've really, I feel like you've really bridged that kind of European, North American, you know, like you've really, you've really, you, Tim Glassett has acted as a bridge between us because we didn't necessarily know um, you know uh, about one another too. So well, I'm really glad to hear that because uh, I mean one one of the of course I have some sort of principles for for publishing and, and one is that I'm I'm very much an internationalist. Uh, yeah. There there are nationalist sentiments all over the world uh, at this point and it's it saddens me uh, and I'm very much an internationalist who, who and, and that's why really one of the, I mean one of the things about the early concrete poetry move, movement was that it, it was very internationalist uh, it, it was not 
I mean, mean uh, the Neugandra group, group were Brazilian, and uh, Eugen Gomringer was was well, he was German, but he, he he lived in Bolivia, and and he was active in Switzerland. So so it was it was really a, I mean a major arts movement that didn't come out of the U.S. or France or, yeah. or the U.K. and or any of the major sort of cultural. Uh, centers of the of, of the world, and and they were very internationalist as well. They wanted to write write a kind of poetry which could be understood by by everyone, basically, uh, regardless of of which language uh, uh, was your mo- mother tongue. So, um, and uh, and I'm very, I mean, that's very important to me as well. Uh, that that I. I I just don't just want to to publish a writer from for writing in one language. Uh, they hopefully they are from all over the world. Yeah. <laughs> then of course uh, language does does uh, does limit us because uh, English is the, the only language uh, apart from Swedish that I'm really fluent in, which make makes it so much easier to to. Uh, communicate obviously with uh, with people in Canada and the US and, and the UK. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm glad you were able to communicate with me and I because I, I I'm afraid it would I don't know any Swedish so we and my German <laughs> is also quite rusty at this stage. But uh, yeah I mean that's it I think visual poetry has a universality to it that makes makes it yeah. um, sometimes communicating Absolutely. to the contributors and authors it's a bit difficult when our languages don't mm. but we get by we we figure it out and we we don't have to we can use semaphores you know <laughs> no, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Absolutely. it works out. i haven't done a semaphore book yet there you go that could be the next <laughs> thing what so you mentioned that uh the internationalism was it was one of the principles of uh your publishing for tim glassett you, what are can you think of other other type of do you have any other sort of guidelines that guide you about what you want to publish or is it when you see something you just know like how do you decide i think I think many many of my my principles are about diversity uh, one way or another 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 is that uh, uh, i mean there are some vispo book series out there uh, with i mean a uniform layout and and right. design and and i decided very early on that i don't didn't want to do that i wanted every 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 book to have its own visual identity at the same time as i'm i mean i'm not i'm not a book designer uh, i'm i i'm not trained and uh, and everything i've learned if anything uh, I've, I've learned by doing basically uh, so there are obvious limitations to to how how i design design a book which i think it's a good thing in a way because those limitations give give the books, after all, some sort of uh, there's some sort of connection between them, design wise, uh, and obviously my own my own aesthetic preferences uh, go into that as well. But but uh, when it comes to I mean, the format of the books, uh, uh, the size, the shape, uh, everything. I, I decided very early on that that I wanted wanted that to be very open and and uh, uh, something to discuss with the author and uh, and to uh, 
uh, use that openness to give give every part project uh, the sort of best presentation it it could get. It's true. Like I mean, I have a lot of I have a lot of uh, Tim Glasset publications, and not not a single one is like the next. Like I mean, they're they're all very different. I went around my apartment and and because I have them in various places, I try to keep things in the like from the same you know in the same place for visual poetry. But no, it's all scattered all over the place, like everything else in my apartment. But um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's true. I, I looking through like I was just in preparing for this, I looked through and it. I could rarely ever find. Sometimes a binding method was the same, but you know, like the still the the the, the uh, no everything about it was was different, and it all depended on the on the you know the work and and uh, and interpretation that you and your contribution and the author. I think and like uh, for Revelation, for instance, um, you know we were you know you were you suggested a form to me, and one of the things I loved was that because you knew about my grapheme synesthesia, you asked me what color Revelation was, and I thought, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a nice, you know, that's a nice thing to ask. And I was like, well, it's a, a, this orange. And I showed you a Pantone color, and you you, mm -hmm. I, you pretty much matched it. So I mean, that was aside from being a really considerate thing to do, it was also a kind of a smart thing to do too. Because why wouldn't you do that? Like I mean, afterwards, I thought, oh yeah, that's a good idea. You know, <laughs> I didn't think of it. <laughs> so no, I mean, I, that that's the kind of closeness though that you you know. Mm -hmm. Consideration and for Judith, I, I mean, especially Judith, the, the design of that book is just—I mean, everyone comments on how beautifully the how beautiful the book is. You may not be a formal book designer, but you're to me, especially for visual poetry. I've I've never encountered a better designer for for visual poetry that really. That's very kind of you. Well, it, it shows the work, and I you you haven't. Um, no, I mean, you, I, I, Judith, it's a, it was a difficult book in a lot of ways because it's um, some work was digital and some was, you know, mm -hmm. photographed work. So that's not an easy thing to do. And like looking at Kate Seclosi's The Latest Leavings, that's a, that's a beautiful, I mean, the work in there is beautiful, but it's also presented in such a great manner. And Sasha Archer's Mother's Milk, I love that book. You know, I mean, I, I love a lot. I mean, I, I have a bag <laughs> full of love in my, beside me here of all the work that I, that I love. So, um, but I'm thinking like, um, um so yeah so i i i was thinking uh talking about the work uh, so vilda valerie bierke torset's paradolia dotremont's daughter i apologize for my mispronunciation of probably 72 words in that sense but um you use interscrews okay. manchester automatic machining for the binding what made you choose that binding method and how <laughs> laborious was the process to do it <laughs> Um, well, well, uh, the idea to use use uh, screws, inter screws as they're, they're called, uh, also called Chicago screws. <laughs> they have two okay. different names, and uh, uh, the idea was Wilders. Um, uh, actually, we, we met um, at a Small Publishers Fair in London in 2019, and uh, <laughs> there was a book at uh, at uh, another table which was bound like that. I think it was Barry Tollett's table, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and 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 she said, "Oh, I love that. Can I get that for my book?" Yeah, sure. Okay. I said, without really knowing what I was uh, saying yes to. <laughs> and it turns it turns out that um, uh, those kind of screws are mo mostly used for uh, leather work, or at least um, on a on a. <laughs> non-professional level they're mostly used for leather work and uh, they are 
insanely expensive if you buy them in a, in a handicraft store some, somewhere like that. Uh, they would cost like uh, uh, more than a dollar a piece. Oh, no. uh, and obviously that's uh, that's not uh, viable so i started start, started researching who actually makes these things and uh, and i, I found they found this company in manchester who who does and and uh, i contacted them and said can i buy screws directly from you i i, I only need like 400 i can't can't remember how many so it's not not really really industrial size yeah sure no problem (laughs) they said and and i ordered ordered them from from uh, from them and i sort of became a thing that uh, that uh, uh, i bought them directly from the manufacturer and they were really nice i wanted 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 to make a point of of the fact that uh, they, they came from from that's that's where we manufacture. Was it a, was the process? Was it a laborious process to put that together, or um, <laughs> I would say mid laborious? I've done worse, and I've done uh, easier things as well. <laughs> what's 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 the most? I love the word laborious. What what was the most? Um, I don't know if you want to say you can't. Maybe maybe you don't want to. But what was one that was real? Like how? What's the longest you spent on putting together a, a, a publication physically? Oh, there was there was definitely uh, early on. I I made a a box of cards by another Norwegian actually, Cecilia Björgos Jordheim. Uh, she she had a daily routine of. Uh, uh, drawing circles. There, there are special pens for drawing, um, you know, the lines used for music notations. Mm. And there are actually, actually actually pens with, with uh, I think there are three points. So you can, you can draw, you can, you can, um, uh, you can draw three lines at the same time. Uh, and she used, used that for making, making circles in a, in a sort mm. of, Zen-like uh, daily daily routine, and we we uh, I published uh, thirty-one of those uh, all uh, every circle from from January of, of that year. I think it was twenty eighteen, maybe something like that. And um, I printed them, and uh, then I couldn't find a box <laughs> to uh, to fit fit the cards in, and I decided, well, how hard can it be to make a box? Uh, on my own from cardboard uh, and it actually takes a lot of time <laughs> I know that now <laughs> so we made it in the end in, in the end uh, me and a friend made only 30 boxes I think uh, I think we were planning 50 or something 45 I can't remember but uh, it just took too much time <laughs> so they're, they're probably quite hard to get, come by now the, the boxes by by uh, Cecilia Burgos, your name. That was definitely the most laborious project I've been <laughs> done. So you you boxed yourself into a corner, but <laughs> I, uh-huh, I definitely uh-huh. did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's the uh, yeah. But so, but the thing is, you the interesting thing too is you. Um, some of the work is hand hand like you know hand bound and you know and while other work is printed. So there's like a hybrid. And Gap Ride is the same. Gap Ride does some work. Um, by hand, and then also some work uh, that's printed. Do you do you have um, uh, 
is do, do you have a preference about what type or do you is just depend on the work and what it needs or it depends on the work basically um but i mean and and sometimes uh, there are time constraints as well uh, yeah. uh um, sometimes i i want to to get a book uh, ready for a fair for example and uh, and there just isn't time to to do handiwork uh, but uh, uh, I, I, I enjoy doing manual work when I have time for it. And, and I think that uh, if there is a point to it uh, for, 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 for a, a project, then, then I, I, will, uh, I will probably probably do it, even if that makes, uh, means that it takes longer to, to get published. Yeah, no. I'm I, doing. I'm doing three books by. Um, I'm going to three fast in <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> in just over two weeks. Uh, there's uh, one called Babe in Bristol in, in the UK, and then there's Miss Reed in Berlin, which right. I've been to twice twice before, and then we have our own artist book fair in in here in Malmo, Sweden. I'm and full that's of the, <laughs> and that's in the space of just over two two weeks and I, I i decided i wanted to for some reason i i had had uh, three projects by uk authors uh, lined up and, uh, and i decided i wanted all three of them uh, uh, finished for uh, for babe and <laughs> all three of them are are uh, to some extent uh, involve manual labor Oh, great. And when is when is Babe happening? When is that? When twenty uh, third and twenty fourth of April. Oh, so that's really close. So okay. Uh, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I envy you about the about the book fair because I'd love to. I mean, I, I'd love to be able to go. First of all, I I'm too afraid of flying these days. I have my claustrophobia to so to to do that. But second second of all, I'm just I'm. Yeah, I, I, we haven't even started having our fairs back in Canada. Yeah, at least not. So yeah, we're not. Are in Toronto and Ottawa, so we're not. So we're not yet ready. I'm looking forward to getting back. We have uh, the Ottawa Small Press Book Fair. It's a very, it's it's quite small, but it's a lovely fair. And then there's the one in Toronto. Meet the Presses is a, a bit larger too. Not like not as big as these ones that are um, in the UK though. And and uh, you're like these are these seem massive to me. I mean, Miss Reads. I was looking. Uh, I, I look sometimes at the, uh, you know, programs and the, the you know, the different vendors, mm -hmm. I'm just like, I, it's, yeah, it's huge, thrilling, but also just, it, I think it would be just such, it would be overwhelming, but I think it would be great fun to, to go. So I, mm -hmm. I envy mm -hmm. you. Um. <laughs> it is great fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so, yeah. So, and then, um, can you talk about what you enjoy about going to fairs and perhaps some of the reasons why you want to glass it there as a vendor? Yeah, I mean, uh, publishing is a lonely business, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, obviously I have I, I'm constantly in contact with with authors and and printers and and uh, and other people, but mostly mostly through email. And uh, fairs is a, is a great way for to to connect with people, obviously. Uh, both uh, buyers, uh, readers, and uh, and and authors, because authors also also come to to fairs. Yeah. Uh, so that's really one of the main 
main reasons to connect with people in, a, in the physical world. <laughs> um, but also, obviously, selling your books. And um, it, it, I mean, I sell perhaps 95% of my books online. Yeah. And um, well, some some readers are very uh, buyers are very nice, and they they send little notes and say thank you, and I send a little note back, and yeah. and so on. But um, but for, for the most of the time, you don't interact with with buyers, obviously online. No, they click and, on the PayPal link and off they go. Right, that's the yeah yeah right, and um, and at a book fair you. You do get a lot of interaction uh, interaction yeah. with uh, with buyers and readers. That's really nice. Oh yeah, I mean the last the last fair I the last fairs I attended were in November of 2019, I think. And I mm -hmm. certainly, uh, I'm trying to remember whether or not I went to meet the presses in Toronto that year. I might have, or I might not. But that's a fun one. It's um, in the, usually in this section of Toronto called the Annex, and it's in the, mostly in this church. And then, of course, afterwards you have a little little uh, get together as well afterwards. Yeah, with yeah. Involves, nice. that involves alcohol, and that can be quite nice as well. You know, yeah, so, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's been a while since. And then the one in Ottawa, same thing. We have a little uh, get together afterwards. But it's just one of the things about the Ottawa one, which I find really interesting is that a lot a lot of people who come in have never even heard of like a chapbook before like so then that happened to me too the, when my first experiences early experiences in like over 20 years ago now with the chapbook but uh, it's sort of where I saw chapbooks for the first time and it's mm -hmm. amazing though once once you see them once you think about them and as a form of publication like you've you, we call them chapbooks here in, in UK they they call them pamphlets but I, I'm actually not convinced that a pamphlet and a chapbook are the same I'm actually not convinced they're the same because a lot of times I'll get I guess it depends on the publisher probably, but like mm -hmm. for instance, I get a lot of um, pam pamphlets from um, from um, uh, say Broken Sleep Books in 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 UK, and it's they're they're actually perfect bound. They're they're not big books like they're like thirty pages well, or so, but they're they're perfect bound. Whereas for me, a chapbook isn't like I don't think of it as a perfect bound thing at all. I think of it as <laughs> as something that is is hand bound or or stapled. So it's like once it's perfect bound, it it moves into the book. Once it has a spine for me, then it's a book. So, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where I differentiate. But, yeah. uh, but I mean, you've done like, I, one, of, one of the things I, I, I'd like to do is, um, is to go through, uh, I have, as I say, I have a big book of uh, a big bag right now. I usually, they're on my shelf, but of books. And what I'd like to do with your permission and indulgence, I'd like to just randomly pull out a few publications and ask you to discuss them. Is that uh I thought it would be a good way to sort yeah. of an idea of the different types of stuff that you've done. So, uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. And absolutely. if there's something you'd like to discuss, we can do that too. So let's see. Okay, so the first one I have here is Gary Barwin's Quantum Typography, and I have to say about this, it's the first. Uh, it's the way in which I encountered you, and I don't remember how I got this, whether or not I ordered it from you, or whether or not I picked it up from Gary, but. Um, one of the things that excited me about it was that I had, it's very hard here to get visual poetry published in color, full color. So mm -hmm. first of all, I was excited by that. And anyway, I love the, it's a well-designed. So yes, uh, talk about, talk about this uh, little gem here by Gary Barwin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you don't really need I to mean, uh, <laughs> Gary, Gary, obviously, uh, uh, 
publish a lot on on social media all the time. Uh, all kinds of uh, visual stuff that that he does uh, seem to seem to uh, end up on his uh, his Facebook profile or on Twitter, well, mostly Facebook, I think. And um, uh, that series was was something that he was publishing, and I I asked him. Do you have a publisher for this? I would love to publish it, and uh, and no, he hadn't a publisher at that time. So yeah, uh, so that was that was great. And uh, I mean, that's a very simple simple chapbook yeah. <laughs> because it's stapled. But um, um, quite early, I mean, when I started uh, publishing, I um, I. Um, uh, obviously, I thought a lot about about how am I going to print this, uh, and obviously, uh, Xerox machines are, are one possibility. But uh, but uh, I soon realized that that I I would be doing some books that were just they had too many pages to to sort of. Uh, Xerox by hand. It was would take too much time, and I'm I'm a I'm a really I get um, uh, uh, when things don't happen happen fast fast enough. I I get really itchy. So <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm very impatient. I'm very impatient, and um, and uh, so I started researching and uh, and. Um, uh, I soon found a small local local uh, uh, printer who had invested in state-of-the-art digital uh, printing equipment, uh, and I sort of so I'd, I asked them what, how much would it cost to to print this in in color, and how much would it cost to to print it in in black and white. And I, I was surprised that that color was more more expensive than it was um, because. Um, Back in the days uh, when I, I published uh, some some fanzines, uh, uh, offset printing was all, yeah. obviously the only only method that was available. And then then every every color you added cost uh, yeah cost a lot of money more plates. Uh, yeah. But that that isn't the case anymore uh, because uh, because it's all all uh, I mean the the masters are di digital. There are no no. Uh, plates uh, made, made for digital printing. Um, so it was, wasn't quite as expensive uh, as, uh, as I thought. And uh, as some of the visual poetry I encountered uh, was very much in color and I, I, yeah. I, I wanted to pu publish it uh, that way. Yeah. Um, so that was a stroke of luck really. Uh, that I that I found that printer and and they have been I mean the first time I I, I came to them with uh, with uh, something I wanted printed printed they they looked at it and and they sort of, I could see see their faces turning into to big question marks uh, I mean <laughs> what is this <laughs> they, they 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 were they were used to print printing the the uh, the local uh, local uh, magazine for the local Shiba Inu club and uh, and uh, you know menus for pizza places and, and stuff like that, 
And anyway, they, they've been really great. And, and I, after a while, they sort of got, got into it. And, and I think they, they find it quite interesting to print something that is completely out of the oh, yeah. yeah, I find that with our, we have a print, we're not I'm publishing visual poetry at all, but we have a printer for um, Bywords, the local thing that I run. And um, we, we, when we, we've been using this, actually the woman, who uh, does our printing for us. We've been following her from print shop to print shop. And when we first started working <laughs> with her, she had no idea about chapbooks and, and these small, and we were we basically published our publishing just poetry chapbooks. And uh, she, she, in the last, I would say, well, again, it's almost 20 years we've been working with her now and she will suggest designs. And now she will, she will have ideas for covers and things like that. So yeah. Absolutely. It's a, yeah, it's been a really good uh, collaboration over the years. Now she has her own shop, and we, you know, we obviously we use uh, we use her. We always we always uh, go to her for that. But here it's still very expensive to get color. So I don't know. Why, I wish I don't know why it's. But yeah, it's it's pretty much impossible to afford uh, color publications. And, that's too bad. Yeah, mm. so that's why one of the reasons why you you know I I was uh, interested in in fact that's what made me um, quantum typography was made in you for Revelation because they were full color pieces and I I wasn't expecting yeah. to be able to find a publisher for them so I was like oh maybe this is a maybe this is a possibility. <laughs> So that was that was exciting, but and and Gary, I mean these, this, I mean I always love Gary's work. Anyway, I'm a big fan of Gary Barwin's work. But he says for quantum typography, why quantum typography? Because language is an impossible shape. Written language exists in two states at once, both visual and oral. We say the shape of language, we see the sound. A glyph is in two places at once, the visual and the oral. And then the pieces are all these sort of impossibilities made possible mm -hmm. i mean and yeah it's, it's a it's a beautiful little book and, and one thing i noticed too is the, the logo for tim glass it was a not what it is today there is a little hourglass on the back oh that's right that well, is it's, a, still, it's still an hourglass though it? but, well, it's uh, an hourglass uh, made of the letters now right yeah, yeah exactly now it's just, then it was just a straight picture of an hour yeah hour. that was ju just a picture i, I found and th then i asked uh, petra to to make a proper proper logo for team glasses so petra, petra did uh, the one we have now i have i have number 68 of of uh, 99 yeah, <laughs> that's what I have. Yes. Numbering was was also something something I scrapped scrapped after a while because it was just <laughs> oh I know too much time and, and and also I think think uh, I, I I don't like to think of my book of uh, Tim Gloss's books as art objects uh, that they, they are even even though even though I I do manual labor on them sometimes and and. And uh, I know some people think of them as, as artists' books, and I guess some of them are, definitely. But, uh, uh, I mean, numbering books is a bit like, like uh, saying it's a multiple. It's, a, it's, a, uh, yeah. it, it's an artwork. It's a number, numbered artwork. And I'm, I'm, I like when books are, are cheap and affordable, and not cheap, but affordable. Oh, yeah. uh, and... Uh, and um, I don't really like the the idea of them become becoming some sort of art object that you covered because you because you want to 
to have a collection of, of uh, important stuff or something like that. Oh, interesting. So the, the collectors will, but even with this one, uh, there are 99 copies and I have 68. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> <So Yeah. laughs> okay. Let, let's look, let's, let's rummage around in here again. Uh, I did not get this from you, but I, I, I asked for, I asked about it and, uh, and it was, I got a copy from one of the contributors. It was the uh, Tim Glass at number eight lists. This uh, oh, yeah. list, mm -hmm. and this came out in um, this came out in May 2018, and mm -hmm. in addition of 110 copies, and they're basically a bunch of really interesting lists that people made, and I, I, I you made a list here too. Actually, your list is very interesting because it's um, there's like there's basically there's there's uh, how many different volumes? I guess there's. I have there are four different volumes of the of these lists. So your your list is actually all about the issues related to uh, um, your the evaluate themes for coming issues, settle on theme. So yeah, it's actually it's sort of it's a very meta thing, right? Because you've got a list about Tim Glass's stuff in a thing that you published from Tim Glass. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah. What, why the why the fascination with lists? That what what how did this come about? These these. Uh, these lists here. <laughs> um, I can't really remember what 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 sets it off, but 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 I mean, lists. Uh, I've always been interested in lists. Uh, lists of things are are there's something very meditative about about reading a list. I think, and and I mean, list poems are obvi obviously a thing that has been going on for a long, long time. Uh, there are, there are. Quite a few list poems in in lists, uh, and um, and I sort of sort of got in, interested in in uh, uh, if I ask people to do do something artistic with uh, the concept of the list, mm -hmm. what would come out of it? And and I mean, obviously, a lot of different things came out of it. Well, yeah. And 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 then <laughs> then then I started thinking very. Uh, uh, meta-poetical or meta-publishing <laughs> about it, uh, because because um, the issue is is obviously a list in itself. It's actually five different small pamphlets which are which are uh, bound with a with a, a banner uh, yeah. around the belly. <clears throat> And uh, uh, yeah, uh, and, and that was really what the, what the fanzine was about. Uh, I, I decided early on I wanted themes, and and uh, uh, and then I they asked a, a number of people to respond to that theme. So so the theme for for number eight was uh, was lists. Yeah, that's great. Well, I got it, I, I, David. I, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his last name right. Kajilin, um how do you pronounce it? KJ? Shaleen. Shaleen, thank you. Yeah, Anglophone. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaleen, David Shaleen. I think I was, I saw something about it on, on Twitter at some point, like the last couple of years. And I, I was kind of boohooing because I didn't have it. And I thought it would be really cool to have that because I love any kind of list. Like I'm a total list freak. Mm -hmm. And David said, I'll send it to you. So, because I, he had oh, yeah. a copy available. So I was like, oh, great. Okay. Fantastic. So that, that yeah, was he's a, lovely, he's a lovely guy. 
Well, that's, it was really lovely of him to send me this. And what I really love too is that, that Liss made up two of visual poems and acemic writing as well as other like actual text-based lists. And then in one of the lists, um, Sa Sasha, Sasha Archer makes an appearance and his list of course is this weird wondrous thing. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> anyway, but that was, that was like back in 2018. So I was, you know, you're already publishing some Canadians in your, in your, in 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Canadians are easy to get get uh, get in touch with. It seems, and uh, <laughs> always hanging out, reading and, 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 <laughs> and a lot of interesting visual poet, poets from from Canada. Uh, I keep publishing Canadians, uh, and, uh, and uh, for the obvious reason that that I think a lot of Canadians are are, are making really interesting work. Yeah, I think they're yourself included. Oh, thank you, thank you. I, I wasn't fishing, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> another another book here. Okay, so this is this is great. I dream of a forest, but it's a process for Nordic visual poets. So it's got Vilda Valerie Bjerke Torsed. Okay, no, I'm not going to try to pronounce names because I'm just so bad at it. But you, maybe you mm. can. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, I really love this. I mean, I. I hadn't seen. Um, I don't think I've seen any of um, any of the work by. Uh, maybe I'd seen uh, Vilda's work before, but I had not seen Ragnhildur's work before. And I, anyway, I just love. It's a beautiful. It's a small anthology. It's uh, mm -hmm. perfect bound. Um, and you say it was released to coincide with the exhibition of the same name at the Burley Fisher Books in London, October twenty nineteen. Yeah. So it's part of the um, Poetry Festival in London, exactly. North York. Yeah, so that's really interesting that you did that. Yeah, can you talk yeah, about the Nord Nordic Poetry Festival was uh, arranged by by Stephen Fowler, uh, who's right. a, a major player in the, in the UK. He's a force, Stephen Fowler. He's yeah. a real force of, of yeah. nature. Yeah, and uh, uh, he he very kindly asked uh, Tim Glass to to be. Uh, uh, publisher in residence at, uh, at the Nordic Poetry Festival and uh, we talked about ma making a book th this book and uh, to coincide with uh, with the exhibition unfortunately I, I in the end I couldn't go uh, because my my wife uh, fell ill um, but um, it was fun doing making it it was made very quickly <laughs> and uh, uh, unfortunately, I think I think it's probably the only time, or or one of very very few times, when my uh, my um, pr printer printer has uh, has uh, uh, not delivered in time because uh, because uh, there was a deadline. Obviously, the book should should be ready for the exhibition, and uh, right. and they they didn't make it, and uh, the book was okay. delivered delivered too late, which was. Of course, very sad. Mm -hmm. But it was fun making it. Uh, the four poets uh, involved involved were were selected by by Stephen Fowler, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, but then then obviously I worked with them on, on uh, not on on choosing the work to to uh, to go in the book, but. Uh, well, how it should be presented and so oh, on. Oh, it's beautiful. Like I looked at this uh, Tommy Mus Mus Mustery, Mustery, and I just love yeah. the fact that there's a piece that goes right from 
the like it's basically there's no margins at all. It just goes right from the edge, right to the center. And normally I would say, oh, that's not a good idea. But here it really works for this sort of it, it sort of it overwhelms, right? It, it's it, I know you. Mm -hmm. did, I mean, and everyone has a different. There's a little. There's a there's some little. Um, differences between the way the work is laid out for the you know i mean but a lot of the work goes right to the end of the like even um yeah yeah, yeah. so anyway it was just great and I, I don't even remember i think this might have been a gift from you or something to me so i was very happy to receive it i mean that's one nice thing too you often send if you order from i finally so i don't know but when you when ordering from you you will often just put another little something in there too and it's introducing uh, you know i think it's a way of building an audience too right building readers as well because they then they discover more work that they they didn't know about and will keep an mm -hmm. eye on that particular writer or visual poet and and get more work by that person so yeah that's pretty cool i like that yeah i mean we talked a bit about principles before and one one such principle is generosity yeah. uh, that that has been a, been an important thing from from the start as well uh, i mean if pe people order more than once they they often get get something for free the second the second time uh, because I think uh, thing I, I I value that a lot and uh, and uh, I think well giving is a good thing. <laughs> People yeah. should give more. <laughs> yeah, no, I. Um, and um, I mean, one, it's not a problem really, but but uh, over over the years, uh, Tim Glossett has moved more from from chat books to to full length books yeah. or. or uh, what you might call real books with spines, uh, <laughs> and uh, and um, one problem is that I haven't ha haven't really had time to make make those uh, those uh, smaller things that uh, that uh, could be sent uh, sent out as freebies. But but I've got one now which I, which I'm sending to to people uh, all the time. So people should be buying books and then they will get a little bonus possibly. So that, that's a good they will, as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Can you give us any teasers about new work coming out in 2022? Can you, or if you'd like to, you don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I can, I can talk, uh, talk it well. I'm, I'm doing a book by you. Who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you? Genesis, which is coming out uh, in uh, in the summer, I think. Okay. Probably. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> but, but right right now, I'm working on uh, four books at the same time, <laughs> in def different stages of, of completion. Uh, I'm doing a book by uh, Greg Thomas, the British. Um, he's a concrete poet and a scholar who, who's yeah. written a. Uh, uh, an academic work about the work of uh, Ian Hamilton Finley and Bob Cobbing and Edwin Morgan, I think it is. Um, and he's, uh, he's uh, written a very nice book of, of concrete poetry. poetry. Uh, there are some one-word poems and some more elaborate uh, uh, things. Um, which has uh, it's it's uh, it's a perfect bound book uh, A5 format, so nothing special about that except that it's got a fold out poem as well. Oh, fun! <laughs> yeah, that's fun. 
Um, and then I'm doing um, marginalia drawings by Joe Devlin. Oh, yeah. Uh, people yeah. Who, who, uh, who follow visual poetry on, on uh, Twitter uh, certainly know his marginalia drawings, uh, which yeah, he's yeah. been doing for, doing for some time. And uh, it's just such a lovely project, and uh, which I, uh, I liked a lot immediately when I saw it and asked to publish it. I like that you do that. That you you um, you will um, basically invite people to send you their work if you just happen to see it. You know, I, I like that. Uh, I like getting those I invitations. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that's an A4 book, uh, rather the same size as the Or Revelation, uh, uh, a big book with uh, which will also have uh, have uh, a bespoke cover. Uh, uh, and I think it will, will look really nice, actually. <laughs> um, and then there's the book, uh, no, which is which isn't a book. Uh, it's a box uh, uh -oh. called a, bo a box of ideas uh, with fifty eight cards by by uh, a British author called Stephen Emerson. Okay. And he's written. He's he's done a lot of uh, of. Uh, poetry objects before and and this one is really lovely it's 58 ideas for for poetry collections oh that sounds interesting <laughs> uh, one, one of them is a poetry collection uh, uh, consisting of of uh, uh, sayings by me medium by a medium and one of them is a poetry co collection written written by a cat walk walking on a keyboard <laughs> and there are a lot, lot of uh, others more elaborate. So many of them are quite funny, and and uh, some of them are, are thought provoking. And uh, and uh, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting project. We have talked about a lot about about humor, but uh, but I, I I really appreciate humor in in. Uh, in, in the arts in general and, uh, and uh, absolutely in visual poetry as well. This, 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 thank you. Of course, this this podcast isn't supposed to be about me, but I always, I usually end up, I'm surprised I haven't done it this time. I usually have like a little rant that I, in the podcast where I talk about something that's uh, particularly bothering me about something to do with publishing <laughs> or, or something, usually it's related to that, but I, I don't have anything. Um, I, 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 for Since we work together so well, I think, I, just seeing you puts me in a good mood, you know. Like I, we, we you're one of the, you're one of the rare people that I can work with, because um, I don't. Oh, work, nice. I do not work that well with. Well, I mean, I have worked. I mean, Judith was a good experience, all told. Like, I mean, he, I enjoyed working with the contributors, but I mean, we had a mission, and I, I was hell bent on that mission. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I yeah. was. I, I, but I mean, I find it difficult to work with people, and I'm very uncompromising about certain things. So, you know, but you were great. Like, you, even, you put up with my. You talked me out of some of my uncompromisingness, so it was pretty good. <laughs> I don't know how you could be so patient. With, the only other person I know who's that patient with me is Charles, my husband. So, you know, it was pretty, you, I said you were my Vispo husband, right? <laughs> this is how we, uh, <laughs> because we work. Well, I'm, 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 a, I'm a fairly diplomatic sort of guy, which yeah, I'm not uh, at all. <laughs> probably, probably works to my advantage. <laughs> but I'm not diplomatic at all. Like, that's the thing. Like, I mean, yeah, ask anyone. The last thing I can, I, I, I don't ever want to hurt anyone but i just things i can't i i'm fiery and it comes out 
And I, yeah, so with you, it's been, it's been, no, it's been really good working with you. I would recommend anyone, you, you know, you're, you're really great to work with. And certainly I'm glad that we, um, Judith, I mean, to me, um, I'm still really happy about that book. And, and, uh, yeah, I hope people, yeah, so I hope people, uh, I mean, I, 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 I take it out regularly and, uh, I'm always recommending to people and stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, we had that experience together and, uh, it's good. I, I guess, uh, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add for, for the, uh, uh, as we close? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I can't think of anything uh, sort of to pull out of my hat at this stage. Uh, not really, no. Uh, yeah, it's been fun. Oh. That's been fun. And I, what I will do is I will read my little, I like to, um, if I, if I, I don't always do it, but not just sometimes I, I've covered the material inside enough that I don't feel the need to. But in this case, I have a note of praise that I like to read out about, uh, about oh. Tim Glass Editions. So let's see here. With whimsy, flexibility, expertise, and creativity, Tim Glossett Editions makes fine work and plays an essential role in the discipline of visual poetry. From precise concrete to imaginative ascemics, Tim Glossett pays homage to the past, celebrates the present, and provides readers with an idea of what's to come. Joachim Norling, with his one-person press, is prolific, productive, and seemingly tireless. <laughs> I believe he's brought European and North American visual poets and enthusiasts closer than we were before through Tim Glossett editions. It's always a pleasure to receive the works in the mail, whether they are bound by bolts insert, inserted or inserted in a little brown bag or beautifully stitched. I look forward to many more. So that's my... That's my oh, thank you very much. That's so kind of you. <laughs> it's, all, it's all true. My fiery nature prevents me from being anything but truthful and, and straightforward. So that, that's that's what it is. So oh, that's lovely. Thanks to Joachim Norling for being on the show, to Charles O for processing, to Jennifer Peterson for music production on the intro and outro, and to you for listening and sharing the podcast. Stay tuned for next month's episode when I speak to Kyle Flemmer of The Blasted Tree and the rest of this year when I speak with more small presses from Canada, UK, and USA. Thank you for listening to The Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine Talks.